Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so, are you excited to be here today? Man, I love to see our students leading the way. If you're new here at Westside, our students are not like the caboose. They are like the engine that drives this place. Their faith is so rich and so deep. Beautiful story from Nate Dewey. You know, my money is on God. I, I, I love that. And what he's referring to, particularly if you're new, is this initiative that we're in, a two-year initiative called Unshakable. And, and basically, at the beginning of last year, as a congregation, all of us entered into 40 days of prayer and fasting, just really listening to what God would have for our church and what God would have for our individual lives. And without question, the, the word that came to us collectively uh, was the sense that we need to get better at loving people. I mean, I know that sounds pretty basic, but it's a life changer, right? We need to get better at loving people, caring for people at their point of pain, both in the church and then in the community and, and really around the world. And so we have been invited by God to really, over these next couple years, to really pour an increasing amount of our lives and our resources in doing just that. And so at the end of the year, we had an, uh, we had an, an, an event called Unshakable, where people were invited to sort of bring their generosity to the table that collectively we might be able to do some really amazing things in our community and beyond. And that's what Nate is talking about, uh, giving 10% of his painting uh, income to the unshakable initiative. And we're pretty excited about it because we did all the prayer and fasting up front, but we had no idea of a study that was going to be released at the end of last year, where as a national study looking at um, the, the states in, in order of, uh, of, of struggling with mental health issues and having access to care. And so 50 states plus Washington, D.C., one would be the state that suffered the least from it and had access to care, and 51 would be the state that struggles the most with it. And so we just figured that Washington, D.C. and New York and California would be one, two, and three, or at the end of the, at the, end of the, at the, end of the list, but it turned out that number 51 is Kansas. And we feel like that God went before us and got us prepared. And not only is that true of Kansas, but it's also the report coming back from Johnson County. You're thinking, oh, yeah, those Western farmers, they're all wacky, man. They're all struggling, right? They're, man, man, they're messed up. But no, it's right, right here uh, and maybe some of you today. I've struggled with mental illness. It's not a big, it's not something that we should hide. It's something we should talk about. And so this is what God is inviting us to really tackle and we're, we're doing this um, uh, through increased generosity. And so if you are new and you're thinking, man, I want to I I become a part of Westside, but I haven't yet made a commitment to that, you can go to unshakable.church to find out how you can get on board with this two-year initiative. Uh, and then certainly after the service, uh, you can go out into uh, our commons area, and there will be some folks at our next steps table that can answer any questions you might have. Now, there are two major initiatives that's driving Unshakable beyond just our generosity, and one of them is mobilizing this army. I mean, look around you. Uh, this is just one of our services. Uh, Westside is not just, you know, one 
uh, service. It's multiple services, multiple churches. And we want to take this army of people and mobilize you, if you will, into little platoons. And so we started last year with this vision of creating area communities, breaking this congregation down into geographical circles that center around elementary schools, okay? And so take people that live, that go to Westside, that live in this elementary school area, raise up an area community shepherd couple that will lead that area and come alongside of you and mobilize you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and to the people in that geographical area. And so this year we launched our very first one. It's called the Prairie Ridge Area Community, which is exciting. 55 families have committed to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the Prairie Ridge Area Community area. And we've raised up an area community couple, Dave and and Shannon, uh, Dave and Shannon Myers, and uh, we're super excited about it. And we're going to stand up about 11 of them this year as a part of our unshakable initiative. And the second one, is coming April the 16th. It's called the Riverview Area Community. And if you live in the Riverview area, meaning that if you have children or if you uh, don't have children, but they would attend Riverview Elementary School, those surrounding neighborhoods, we are gathering you together beginning April the 16th for four Sundays in a row, this time in the East Venue to get to know each other, to meet your new area community shepherd, which we've already recruited and brought on board, and give you a chance to learn more about who these people are and what this is about, and invite you to be a part of the Unshakable Mission pretty exciting. Second major initiative Unshakable is to take our awesome professional care center that deals with adults and families and men and women and particularly children that are struggling and students and take it to another level. And so we're pouring lots of additional resources into that. We're going to tell you more about that in the days to come. But a part of that initiative is we want to equip you to learn how to care better right? And so we've created an advanced essentials experience called Care Like Jesus. And we want to make sure every single person, every how many people? Every person who calls Westside home to be equipped to care for the people that you're going to encounter in your life. It's a five-week experience, and we want everyone to get turbocharged to learn how to care with what God has given you. So on April the 16th, we're going to begin a new series. It's our first biblical series on what the Bible says about mental health. And during that series that we're going to be talking about uh, from uh, Sunday mornings, we're also going to uh, release this Care Like Jesus experience into our A2 communities. So I would encourage your, the A2 communities that exist uh, to go ahead and get access to this, to this resource. And uh, if you would like to start an A2 community, you can do it even just for these five weeks and see how it goes. You can join one, or you can come to an on-site five-week experience that we'll have at Lenexa and at Speedway. So to get involved in the Riverview community, you can go to westsidefamily.church slash Riverview. It's pretty simple. And if you want to know more about this experience uh, through the valley experience called Care Like Jesus, go to westsidefamily.church slash valley. You can go online or you can also today in our commons area, uh, our folks will be out there uh, to answer any questions you have. Sound good? We're on a mission church. And if you're brand new, we would love to have you. Now you're ready to dive into the word. Come on. I'm going to need more than that, man. I'm are you ready to get into the word? Yeah. Woo! 
I believe you. So here we're going to do, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 25 through 37 today, one of the parables of Jesus. Before I explain it, I want you to take a look at this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So there's this businessman. While he was on vacation, he was reading his hometown newspaper and was stunned to discover his obituary was in the newspaper. And so shocked and angered, he picked up the phone and called the editor of his hometown paper and said, I am calling about the report of my death in your newspaper yesterday. Yes, sir, came the reply. And where might you be calling from? <laughs> yeah, that is a really good question that applies to every single person in this room. When you exhale your last breath, what happens next? Anything? Where do you go? Well, the master storyteller Jesus today is going to answer that precise question, and he's going to do it through a story. So I'd encourage you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. Also super helpful to open up the Westside app and look at the gathering notes. We got a lot of stuff to talk about in answering this question. We'll begin in verse 25. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's disgusting. That's not in the text. That's my expression. 
The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So what do we have here? We have two men. We have a rich man and we have a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus. Now it's interesting, in all of the other parables that Jesus tells, he doesn't give names to the characters in his story, but in this particular case, he does. He calls out the name Lazarus, which means that either Jesus is telling the story, drawing from a real life situation, or the name Lazarus has deeper meaning uh, that will give us insight as to the meaning of the parable. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. The bodies are buried into the ground. And the spirits, we discover in this story, the spirits, the real you, goes to the same place, which is divided into two compartments. Same place, two compartments. There is the upper compartment And then there is the lower compartment with a chasm in between. Now, here's a very simple drawing. It's in your West Side Notes that represents this place. We're going to put it up on the screen. And we see that the chamber up to the north is called Abraham's side. This is where the poor man's spirit goes. And the chamber to the south is called Hades, where the rich man goes. Now, we're not really sure where this place actually is, but we do know that the spirits of the dead, those who exhale their last breath, the spirits of the dead go to this same place divided into these two compartments. Now, it's interesting to take note here that upon the crucifixion of Christ, that we're going to have a shift in residence for the spirits who reside in Abraham's side. Okay? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But first, let's answer two questions. First of all, what is Hades like? Now, the name Hades, which is the Hebrew word Sheol, is now in the Greek New Testament, Hades, is translated hell all ten times that it appears in the Bible. So those two words, Hades, hell, Sheol, are interchangeable, okay? And the very first thing that we learn is that it is a place of fire. You saw that in the story. Now, most scholars, or at least some scholars, believe that this may not be an actual physical fire, because it is difficult for spirits to feel the effect of physical fire unless there is something about our spirits that can feel the sensation of fire or we receive, those who are in Hades, receive a temporary body by which they can experience this uh, sense of torment. We don't know for sure, but what we can conclude, I think... Uh, give me witness, uh, this is not the place you want to be, 
right? I mean, I struggle to get a good night's sleep when the temperature is above 65. I mean, this is not a place where I want to hang out. The second thing we learn is that it is a place of blackest darkness. We learn about that later in the New Testament, of blackest darkness. I think a person who is blind could maybe describe this for us. I know when I was in my freshman year of college, I went spelunking with a roommate of mine in my freshman year, uh, caving, and we got deep into the recesses of the cave when the only flashlight that we brought went out. Yeah, I know, that's not very smart, right? But it was black. And you know, sometimes when you're in a dark room, like if we turn the lights out here, your eyes would adjust because there's other ambient light somewhere. This is a place where the eyes never adjust. It is dark. And I don't know about you, but that just terrifies me. I am a nightlight kind of guy. <laughs> the third thing and the most important thing we learn about Hades, hell, Sheol, it is a place of solitary confinement from God's presence. Yeah. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that those who do not know God, those who have not placed their faith in God, this is what we learn, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his might. If I could, if I could give you maybe a, a modern analogy, I would say it would be like waking up every single day on death row with no chance of a stay of execution. In Hades, it, it is in essence a banishment from the presence of God. Yeah, maybe there's actual fire, maybe there's actual black darkness, then there probably is, but the most awful thing is that it is forever away from the presence of God and the life we were intended to live when God formed us in the womb of our mother. And we were going to be in this place of banishment while we await the final judgment because the spirit of those who do not believe God, who go into hell or to Hades or to Sheol, this is not the final stop. This is mainly a holding tank waiting for the final judgment, which will be initiated at the return of Jesus. Certainly not the end of the story that I want for my life. Everybody with me? Now the question is, please, pastor, move off of this topic. Let's talk more positively about, well, what is Abraham's side like? And we learn three things. Number one, it is a place that is restful and peaceful. Can I get an amen? Now, Abraham's side, that phrase, can be interchanged with the word paradise. Paradise and Abraham's side can be interchangeable in the Bible. And the word paradise means walled garden, meaning it is a place that God has created that is quite spectacular, right? And we even have the, the concept of a stream of living water running through it. As a matter of fact, the rich man would give anything for Lazarus to take a touch of the cold water and to place it on his tongue. The word paradise is also a reference to the walled garden that Adam and Eve experienced at the opening of the Bible. And truthfully, we don't know much more about this place other than it is the place between the two options that you want to be in. 
Does everyone follow me on that? Pretty clear? Okay. Now, number two, we learn this about Abraham's side. It is a place for Old Testament believers. Now, some of you new to the Bible, you're going to have to listen in real carefully. I'm going to try to explain it real clearly, okay? It is a place for Old Testament believers. In the Old Testament, up until the crucifixion of Christ, when a person who placed their faith in God exhaled their last breath and died, their spirit went to Abraham's side, or you could also call it paradise. Very good. First service wasn't awake. We know that Abraham's side of paradise is restful and peaceful, but we also know that it is not in the presence of God. The question is why? And here's the answer. Because the blood of the animal sacrifices that they offered in the Old Testament, thousands upon thousands of blemish, perfect lambs, was actually not sufficient to atone for their sins, to pay for their sins, and therefore did not make them right with God, and therefore they were not allowed to enter into the presence of God. The sacrifice of these animals would not be sufficient. I want you to take a careful look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. The author here explains it. The law, which would refer to the Old Testament, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, referring to Jesus and the New Testament, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All of the animals that died on the altar, whose blood was shed on the altar, was merely, as it turns out, a foreshadowing of the one sacrifice of the Lamb of God that would be sufficient to pay for all of our sins once and for all. Remember the words of John when he introduced Jesus to the world, when he walked onto the scene. John chapter 1 and verse 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, read it with me, who takes away the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus is actually sufficient to cover all of our sins and make us right with God. But that sacrifice wasn't available for Old Testament believers or anybody for that matter, including Lazarus, until after the crucifixion of Christ. So what does this mean? It means that those who believed in God placed their faith in God prior to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, did not actually have their sins atoned for, and therefore could not be ushered into the amazing presence of God. So, a safe place for them to hang out that is restful and peaceful while they awaited the sacrifice of Christ to be made is a place called Abraham's side or paradise, which is a wonderful place to hang, in my opinion. 
I believe Abraham's side or paradise is the same place referred to when Jesus is on the cross and he said to the thief next to him, who, by the way, got in under the wire. (laughs) He said, today you will be with me in? What does that mean? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He's not referring to heaven. He's referring to Abraham's side. Jesus exhaled his last breath along with the thief on the cross on a Friday afternoon, but they're not, he's not raised from the dead until Sunday morning. So where is Jesus from Friday late afternoon to Sunday morning? I'll tell you where he's at. He is in paradise, in Abraham's side. On Friday, after they, they exhale their last breath, Jesus, along with the thief, man, what a joy ride this was, they go into Abraham's side for the purpose of retrieving all of those who had faith in God prior to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to retrieve them and to take them once and for all into the actual, no kidding, presence of God. Can you imagine being in Abraham's side when that happened? Jesus and the thief shows up and Jesus said, my sacrifice is complete and it is being applied to your faith. It is being poured over you so your sins are now atoned for. Let's get out of here. And in a train, they move to a place called heaven in the actual presence of God. And that is where all of the Old Testament saints who simply had faith in God are there till this day. And not only that, but every single person in your life that you have lost, a son, a daughter, a mom, dad, a best friend that you, you miss so much, if they placed their faith in Christ before they exhaled their last breath, that is where they're at. In the very presence of God. And for us, that will be true for us as well. When we die, we will skip our residency in Abraham's side and go directly into the presence of God. If, yeah, I woke you up, didn't I? (laughs) If you believe before you exhale your last breath. Now, here's a drawing that might help you. It's in the app. So in the Old Testament, Hades is called Sheol in the Hebrew. In the teachings of Jesus prior to the crucifixion of Christ, we have believers in God before the crucifixion of Christ go to Abraham's side. We have Hades. Those are for the non-believers who did not embrace faith in God before the crucifixion of Christ. They're in Hades, also known as hell. 
And then after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, those who do not believe uh, go to Hades. That's where they're still hanging out. But believers in Jesus with the crucifixion complete skip Abraham's side and go now to a separate place called heaven. And here's the deal. We ask the question, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? And here's the deal. We only have three verses in the New Testament that talk to us about what heaven is like. You'd think there'd be more, right? And the reason is because heaven, say it's up here in the presence of God, is not our final resting place. Now, you may not have known that. This is our holding place in the presence of God until Jesus returns when something dynamic will happen and we'll enter into a new place of residence and that, my friends, is going to be where we are forever and ever. But giving you a working definition of heaven today, here's what I would say. Write this down. A place in the very presence of God as we await our resurrected bodies and the life we were made to live. Anybody interested in that? At least over the option. Let's finish the rest of the story. Abraham responds to the rich man's request. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, neither can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he replied, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So this rich man has five brothers, and at least he loves them enough where he does not want his brothers. He does not want his brothers to experience this, and so he wants them to have the opportunity to repent before they exhale their last breath. And in this particular case, he asked if Lazarus could go be sort of back from the dead to go talk to his brothers. And Abraham said, no, I don't think that would be effective. And here, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Abraham. I don't. Man, he is a very important dude in the Bible. But I have a tendency of, of agreeing with the rich man. How about you? I mean, if someone comes back from the dead, you know, not a near-death experience, but like a real dead person, particularly someone I know, maybe it's been one years or 10 years or 20 years, and they come back from the dead and they say, Randy, here's what really happens. I'm like, I'm down for that. I'm going to pay attention, aren't you? But Abraham says, no, that's not going to work. They have Moses and the prophets, which means they have the Old Testament scriptures. And the Old Testament scriptures are pointing out everything a person needs, truth, that would lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. And now today, we have the New Testament, which makes it overtly clear, so that we are without excuse. But then on top of that, think about this with me. There was a person who in fact died, actually died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And there is 
over 500 people who gave testimony that they witnessed it. So it's verifiable. It did happen. And yet there are millions of people who do not believe it. If we do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it's not going to help that Lazarus or anybody else for that matter is raised from the dead. So here becomes the final question. See if you think this is not a good one. So then, how do we avoid hell and get to heaven? Seem like a pertinent? You know it applies to everybody here, right? Today, we have all of the keys that open up the kingdom of heaven. We have the truth of scripture, and we have Jesus, and we have a sacrifice that is sufficient to pay for all of our sins, and we have a resurrection. All that is left for us to do is to choose, to choose to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made and ask for it to cover you so that you might be made right with God. We need to ask for the sacrifice of Jesus to be applied to us for the forgiveness of our sins. So I wrote the decision out like this, if you're taking notes. Here's what you must do. Call out, call out, and ask Jesus to forgive you and to save you. Not so much to save you from hell and banishment from his presence, but rather to save you for life with him and the life he intended for you from the beginning. So I'm going to ask you the question, have you done that? Have you done that? Because here's the deal. Um, God is not going to force himself on you. He has chosen you, and he has made a way for you, but he will not force himself upon you. If I were God, I would force myself upon you. I would. I go, this is going to be for your own sake. You'll, 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 you'll see in the end, this is going to be for your good. But for whatever reason, God wants you to make a choice. And here's something that should just shiver you to the bones. God does not send anyone to hell, but he merely will honor your choice. C.S. Lewis writes, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. They enjoy the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved, just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. I think one of the things that's difficult for many of you listening to me and even online is that nothing else in our life works this way, that something is done for us so magnanimous and that all we have to do is to believe and to receive it. Nothing works that way. It really doesn't. And so often we want to make it more difficult, but the scriptures are very clear. There's nothing you can do to make this work for you. You see, the rich man and all of his riches and all of his hard work and all of his accomplishments and all of his accolades, it did nothing for him 
when he exhaled his last breath, even if that included giving to charities. But the truth of the matter is, Lazarus, whose name means God the helper, Lazarus means God the helper, it means that what Lazarus did is he fully relied on the mercy of God and God alone, and that's how he ended up at Abraham's side. Lazarus did not end up at Abraham's side because uh, he did good works. Lazarus did not end up in Abraham's side and now in heaven because he was poor, but rather his name suggests in the story of Jesus that Lazarus' claim to fame is that he merely leaned fully on the mercy of God, and God met him at his point of pain and forgave him. And this is the essence of the gospel that Jesus is trying to get across to these people and trying to get across to us today. None of us can do this on our own, but with God's help, we can get there. So the point of the master's story, story today is this. You have a decision to make, every one of you. And no decision is a decision of rejection. See, I think a lot of people are thinking, I'm just not really buying into this, and so I'm, um, I'm not going to make a decision about Jesus. And if it turns out to be true at the end of the day, which I doubt it's going to be, but if it is, it's too fantastical to believe. Uh, but if it does, then I'm going to you know, just pray that uh, God grades on a curve and that I'm not as bad as an axe uh, murderer and uh, yeah, the thief on the cross got in, so hey, I'm in. I'm just telling you, man, you're out. That's not me talking. That's the scriptures talking. And no decision is a decision of rejection. You can't ignore it as though it's not true. And then uh, somehow it's not going to be true when you exhale your last breath. And as the rich man taught us, you can't make the decision or change your mind after you're dead. That's what we learned from this story, right? You know, I mean, you can't go like, well, I don't know about this. And then you get to Hades and you're like, okay, I'm ready now, I'm ready now. No, the deal's off. God's after you. He wants you. He's, he's, he's wooing you. He's not forcing you. But you gotta decide in this lifetime, yes or no. And then he'll honor your choice. And here's the deal. I hope this is not a newsflash. Even for young people, you're gonna die. I know some of you are believing right now that you're going to somehow escape it, you know, do a, a tuck and roll and miss it, you know, but you're not. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it's appointed unto man once to die. For you it may be today. You didn't see it coming. It may be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from now, but it is coming. I remember. I remember when I made my choice. I'd never been in church. I got invited to a church from a neighbor, and the first gathering in the church was in a youth gathering. It was about 40 kids, and I sat back on this side of the center. There was only a center row, and I sat back there, and the youth pastor gave the message, and then he said, I want all of you, and this is how they did it in the 70s, and it worked for me, so I'm going to do it today. He said, I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. He said, if you, I want you to raise your hand if you don't know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Do you hear the question? I want you to raise your hand if you don't know for sure if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. And I'm thinking to myself, first time in church, but I'm pretty smart. I am pretty sure that it'd be pretty arrogant to say you know for sure you would go to heaven. So I raised my hand, and then I peeked. And I was the only one with my hand raised. 
And I thought, I am either really super smart on my first day in church or I got something more to learn. And then the youth pastor said, you can know for sure through the sacrifice of Christ. And I listened in. And I came back the next night to make sure because it just seemed too fantastic for me. And I came back the next night and on the third and final night between the youth service and the big church service, I went up to a guy named Paul Villar. He was the bus captain who drove me to church because I was 14 years old. And I chose to talk to Paul Villar because they kept quoting him in church. They would say, and Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers. No, this is a true story. In view of God's mercies, to offer yourself as living sacrifice. And I'd look back and they're like, he never talks that way on the bus, but he must be their go-to guy because they keep quoting him. They never gave his last name, so I just figured it's Paul Villar, right? So I went up to him. Well, he didn't really know what to do, but he took me to the youth pastor, and I sat on the front row here, about two, three rows in, right where, where you guys are sitting, and uh, he talked to me about what Jesus did for me and that I needed to repent and let him cover me. And I did. And I was baptized. And I tell you, if asked the question today, Randy, do you know for sure, for sure, that when you die, you'll go to heaven? I raise my hand. And I ask you the question, where are you at on that? I might ask it this way. If... Today, when you go home, if you find your obituary in the newspaper and you call the editor and he asks, where might you be calling from, what will be your answer? Heavenly Father, the words of Jesus through a story have been super clear to us. They haven't necessarily made us comfortable, but we appreciate truth. And we believe your word is truth. And right now, in this moment, for the people here at Lenexa, whatever room or place they're listening, for our folks at Speedway and for all the people all over the world watching online, I pray that your spirit might come to them and you might whisper to them, as you did to me, I want you. Do you want me? And I pray today that they would make that decision and have the blood of Christ cover them, making them right with you, so that when they exhale their last breath, and they will, they will immediately go into your presence, awaiting for the return of Christ, where they will receive a resurrected body to live forever and ever on the new earth. Oh my gosh, I want to be there, and I am, because of my faith in your son Jesus. May this be true of everyone hearing these words today. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who made all of this possible. And everyone said, amen. amen. We're going to just end the service today uh, in this sort of quiet, hush moment. We want to say to you that if you're here today and you have never made that decision, that today's your day. And, and sometimes in a situation like this, I look across and I know so many faces. I've been here five years now, by the way, this, like, this week or something like that. And that's really cool. And, uh, and so I know a lot more of you now, and I know that you have embraced this. And so there, my tendency is to think, oh, man, everyone's got this. But then I remember in 1974 when I was the guy, the only guy in the room who didn't get it, and I'm so glad they shared the message. I just want to say something to you that's really important in this community, in this area of our country. If, just as a clarif clarification, if your parents 
decided to have you baptized as a child. That is such a cool thing from their heart that they did. But it doesn't count. Search me out on this. You're not going to find baby dedication in the Bible. It doesn't exist. If it did, I'd be telling you about it. And it's a cool thing your parents did, but if you're thinking, that's okay, my my parents got me covered when I was a baby, it's not. So I'm just telling you the truth. Jesus wants you to make a decision for yourself. And if you have questions about that, and you're watching online, you can reach out to our team. If you're at Speedway or here at Lenexa, just go and find some of the guys that are in our red shirts, and they can answer any questions just like the youth pastor did for me. And if you're ready to make the decision like I was June 14th, 1974, they can lead you into a prayer, and then right there by the baptistry, you can go public for Jesus. You can call out to him. Wouldn't that be something, church? So we're counting on many, many. We came expecting today that many people will do that. You will not be the only one. And also, if you're brand new, after you get baptized, after you go to Westside in four, there it goes. They're just messing with me. Um, uh, and it's basically, if you'll give us four minutes, we'll tell you four things about Westside and have a gift for you, and we'll tell you about your next steps of becoming a part of this body and growing in your relationship with Christ. Amen? All right, be standing to your feet. As you go, may light with no darkness fall along your path. May love without fear and bitterness be in your heart. May truth without falsehood be in your mind. May the peace of God be at the center of your life. And may the presence that can never be taken away from you go with you. Amen.